Today, I invite you to think about the significance of influential faith. Before I unpack that, I want to bring to your attention the sweet memory that many parents can relate to when we are teaching our children how to ride a bike without the training wheels. So we think about the cheering that goes on, how close we are, quite vigilant and alert, ready to catch them because most likely there's going to be an epic fail. But in fact, we actually start seeing them maintain their balance and then they gain that speed and then we see them take off. When we love someone the way God intended us to love, we do so with a selfless kind of giving sacrificial way. We do so with unconditional, persistent, patient, and profound love. And it's with a genuine hope in our hearts that we want what is best for them. So when it's time to teach them how to ride a bike, we get the bike, we get the helmet, the knee pads, we go through the whole process of safety, we talk about it, we show them, we steer them in the right direction, we do everything we can. And all of those acts show how much we invest ourselves into them, how we want to influence their learning and their growth, hoping for the best outcome. Now, have you noticed how often when a person is learning how to ride a bike, no matter how open space they may be, how much of space they have to try things out, people tend to turn towards the one obstacle in front of them. Please take a look at this perfect example. And he's off for the big one. Don't crash into the tree. <laughs> I crashed into the tree. Oh. Hang on, boy. You see, the ultimate goal is to ride a bike. But one of the first milestones in riding a bike is to avoid falling. But the milestone of avoiding the fall or the crashing is never to become the ultimate goal of riding the bike. You see, we don't ride a bike to fall. So I want you to keep that in mind, a very simple um, example. Now, as I'm going to transition into a story, we continue to navigate through the book of Acts. We are finishing the month of July, and I'm coming towards the end of the book of Acts, the last few chapters. And I hope that we can resonate not only individually, but the book of Acts calls us to focus on how we are to do certain things in life in a group effort as a church family. So Paul's and the many leaders that were with Paul, their main mission was to take the gospel to Jerusalem, 
to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. You can review that in the very first chapter in Acts. That is chapter 1, verse 8. That was always the mission. Along the way, we have been reviewing for the last few weeks, chapter after chapter, they faced a lot of milestones, a lot of um, difficulties and twists and turns. And many times we can see how certain milestones, because of the extent of the complexity and how much time and energy it took to advance past a milestone, some milestones couldn't become, could have become a stumbling block if they would have turned into the end goal. Acts chapter 21, verse 18, it says, Paul is meeting with the church leaders in Jerusalem. Verse 19, and I'm going to read about 10 or less than 10 verses. I hope that you can notice the roller coaster. It is quite the dramatic story. Please look at the many details involved here. And verse 19, after Paul meets the church leaders, it reads, after greeting them, he gave them a detailed report of what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Those who heard this detailed report praised God. Then the church leaders, then they said to him, Brother, you see how many thousands of Jews have become believers and all of them keep the law passionately. Now here we go, verse 21 becomes a sharp turn. They continue to say, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to reject Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to live according to our customs. What about this? Verse 23, you must therefore do what we tell you. Four men among us have made a solemn promise. Take them with you. Go through the purification ritual with them and pay the cost of having their heads shaved. Everyone will know there is nothing to those reports about you, but that you too live a life in keeping with the law. The following day, Paul took the men with him and went through the purification ritual with them. When the seven days of purification were almost over, the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. Grabbing him, they threw the whole crowd into confusion by shouting, fellow Israelites, help. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, the law, and this place. The entire city was stirred up. The people came rushing, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. Verse 39, please let me speak to the people. And when they were quiet, he addressed them 
in their native language of Aramaic since he knew the language. A lot happens there. I hope that you noticed how he offered a direct report. I hope that you noticed how he agreed willingly. He saw the value in participating and completing a certain ritual as a way to tell them, I'm not here to dispute altogether a practice, an ancient law, something valuable to our family and our culture. I hope that you also notice how important it was for Paul to defend the faith, but it was how he went about it. That part I didn't get into. I hope that you get to read it. That's chapter 22. The way Paul defends his faith is very clear. First, he switches to the native language. He's seeking, therefore, that tells me, he's seeking a common ground. He is seeking a way to connect with the audience. Then, how he defends his faith, he begins to unpack the entire chapter 22. It's about him telling the people his personal story. And he starts by saying, I'm a Jew. I was trained in the instruction of the ancient law. Then that became my vocation to the point that I was actually persecuting and looking for anyone who disputed the ancient law. And then he talks about when he was going to Damascus, this light encircled him. And he was blinded in a way in order to be, to see in another true way. The way he defended his faith was by trying to seek a common ground and sharing his personal experience, telling them how God, how Jesus Christ called him by name, changed him, and commissioned him to a mission. Do you believe that God has named you, called you, changed you, continues to change you, and commissioned you to do something in this lifetime that it's a mission bestowed upon, given by God? Do you actually believe? If so, how do you describe your life's mission? How are you fulfilling that? How can we defend our faith going beyond the ability to recite biblical text, to know science, which is important, to know the history, which is key, to know the archaeology, which is so insightful? But please know that the most influential way, in other words, the most persuasive way to connect to others and live out and fulfill the mission is by having an influential kind of faith, meaning share your story. Share how God continues to shape you and change you. 
Paul shows courage. Indeed, I admire him. The way he stayed the course in the mission. And we can admire Paul, but you know what? The most important character in this whole entire narrative is the Holy Spirit. I don't need to so much yearn to be like Paul as I need to yearn to be filled by the Holy Spirit. At certain seasons of our lives, we can only focus on one milestone. Right now, I just have to survive. Or right now, I just have to focus on not falling. There are times in lives that that makes sense, whether we're new at something or something unprecedented. But hear me on this. There's something about we are to also go onward and find a way and believe that if the Holy Spirit is powerful enough and equips us, we can actually pedal onward and we can pick up other people along the way. And with my story and your story, very graciously but clear, we can maybe guide someone else, stir them in the right direction. And we help them, and we will pick them up if they fall, and we will repeat the process as many times as we have to because the mission remains. Paul insisted that some of the Jewish laws were irrelevant to the Gentiles. But he didn't seek to abolish or to draw the Jews altogether away from a particular custom. But some of the audience refused to trust the intent and the end goal that Paul and his team were offering. Paul saw Christ as the Savior of all. And Paul saw a God in the midst of everyone's life wanting to spread the good news, the way of salvation to the ends of the earth. That mission never changed. And that mission will never change. The question that many of us may wrestle with is, how can we be sure that I am doing the right things according to the will of God? How can I be sure that I am defending the right way? That I'm not sugarcoating or watering down or compromising, that I'm being courageously firm with the message and the mission of God? That's a very loaded question, and I'm not going to give you a comprehensive full answer. This is one of those that really invites for a conversation, a Bible study, a discipleship approach. But I at least want to point out one main way that I hope that you can consider. The Gospels. The Gospels have particulars and have absolute claims of who God is and what God wants and what he desires for human nature, for humanity. The gospels inform our faith of what the kingdom of God is like here in the now and what we are to hope for. And yes, some of the gospels claims will challenge your current beliefs. The life of Jesus, the death, the resurrection remains and should be the centrality of our Christian understanding. 
because it links the Old Testament, the prophecies, the expectation, the anticipation. It, does, it takes that and it expands its understanding. It crosses over to what we consider the New Testament with, again, the walk, the birth, and the death of Jesus Christ by the fulfillment of God becoming flesh in Jesus. And so through that, the promise is revealed and post-Jesus, meaning after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit continued the mission. There is not a single second when we are left alone. There's not a single second when the mission is halted altogether. There's not a single second in God's narrative. There are four gospels in the Bible, but there are 66 books altogether. And I'm not saying to dismiss the other 62. Again, I am pointing out that there's a central piece that actually brings everything else to correspond and go back and align to that centrality that we do have in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. It takes our commitment. It takes our commitment to trust that God calls us and that we are to be part of a mission, even when we don't know exactly how our life is going to unfold. It takes a decisive commitment to accept that we are to be commissioned by God. That we, you and I, we are included to be influencers. That we have to have this faith that influences other people. That we are part of the mission. And if we learn anything from the book of Acts, let it be that the Holy Spirit has never been confined or under the church's control. The believers, those who chose to believe and follow in the book of Acts, they learned what it meant to listen to one another's stories. Listen to one another's perspectives and be inspired and be disagreeing to agree and to disagree, but keeping the essential centrality clear. Those who chose to believe learned how to wrestle with scripture. In that time, they wrestled with the ancient law, what we consider the Old Testament. There's something about wrestling with the scripture. They also learned that there is a need to discern common grounds. And at the same time, to boldly and courageously challenge the injustices that may be in the current context. So just like in a marriage, there needs to be a mutual motivation to be Christ-like centered in love. And out of that Christ-centered love, many more attributes flourish. Solidarity. I stand by you, you stand by me, 
and we stand shoulder to shoulder as a church family, as difficult as that may be. We learn the concept of hospitality, to always be willing to welcome one another at the table. And we certainly, with Christ-centered love, mutually shared the power of forgiveness, which is the way to heal. And healing can take place by repairing and even releasing sometimes. So, don't look back at your life story with shame. Don't look back at the church's story with shame. It can be difficult. It can be piercing and convicting. But the point is to look at the story and now have greater assurance that no matter how many times we mess this up, the Holy Spirit's power prevails and the mission remains. And you are called, and you can be changed, and you can continue to be changed or sanctified. And you can actually believe that you are commissioned to do something greater than yourself. But you have to commit to that. Your faith is personal, but that doesn't mean that it's private. Our faith is to be relational, to be influential. So where will the unconfined word of God take us? Where will it take you? Where will it take First Church? It's been five months of a newness. And we are looking forward to resume, to, to relaunch, to rebuild, to repair, to redeem kind of like learning how to ride a bike and or teaching how to ride a bike. 